Welcome to this week's episode of the Ithacan's podcast, How I See Sports. I'm Samantha Cavalli, the assistant sports editor of the Ithacan. And I'm Nick Friend. Today from VIC Radio's Triple Threat, Charlie Novak is here to join in our discussion of the NFL, MLB, and the FIFA World Cup. Also on the show, Ithaca College sophomore goalie Max Lichtenstein of the men's soccer team is here to talk about the team's goals for the remainder of the season, goals for himself, his experience on an academy soccer team, and why he transferred from a Division I school. Before we bring in Max and Charlie, let's move on to the How I See Sports recap and preview of the week. The volleyball team went 2-0 on the weekend in conference matchups against St. Lawrence and Clarkson University, defeating the Saints three sets to none and the Golden Knights three sets to one. The women's golf team placed fifth at the Williams Invitational October 7th through the 8th in Williamstown, Massachusetts. The women's cross-country team placed 10th at the Houghton Invitational, while the men's team placed 8th in the same Invitational. The men's soccer team shut out Bard College 5-0 October 7th at Carpwood Field. Eric Hepler scored two goals on the day, with scores also by Justinian Michaels, Nate Mansfield, and Nate Schoen. The football team defeated uh, University of Rochester 46-6. This was the team's first time playing the Yellow Jackets in football history. Quarterback Wahid Nabi went 17 for 21 with 206 yards and a touchdown. Running back Isaiah Dehady ran for uh, 102 yards and two touchdowns. The field hockey team was shut out by Skidmore College 4-0, while the women's soccer team was also shut out uh, October 7th by Bard College, losing 1-0. The volleyball team travels to Michigan this week for the Midwest Invitational, where they face three top 20 teams, including number one ranked Calvin College. The Bombers have won nine out of their last 10. The men's and women's cross country team will also be far away from home as they're in Illinois to run the Cowbell Classic. And after back-to-back losses for the first time all season, the field hockey team will look to rebound against the University of Rochester on Saturday. The men and women's soccer teams will both take on Skidmore College, For the men, it is a matchup against a top 25 ranked team. And winners of three in a row, the Ithaca College football team looks to stay red hot as they travel to RPI on Saturday. All right, so we're now going to bring into the conversation Max Lichtenstein. Max, thanks so much for coming on. It's my pleasure. (laughs) All right, so my first question. So as a team, as a whole, what are your goals for the season on the soccer team? Um, Our goal is pretty much from day one where to have 10 wins to finish the season. That was a goal set out by uh, our new head coach, Coach Desito. Mm-hmm. He came in with a winning mentality right away. And uh, I guess for the past couple, five years, six years, that Ithaca men's soccer has not been extremely successful. So his uh, goals for the team were to qualify for the Liberty League playoffs, mm-hmm. which is the top six teams out of the uh, 10 get into the playoffs and then winner of that gets an automatic bid to the NCAA uh, tournament. Right now we're sitting at eight, but uh, this weekend if we get a win and a tie, we'd be right in about fourth or fifth place. So it's a critical weekend coming up and uh, the expectation is just to make the playoffs and see what we can do from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some personal goals you have uh, for this season? Um, personally, I'd like to just keep winning for the team because if I win, and keep some shutouts and clean sheets and uh, save the ball from going in. The awards will come. Uh, Coach Desitel, uh thinks that I can disguise the limit for me at Division Three, at the Division Three level. Um, so the ultimate goal would be to be an All-American. Um, and the season so far, I've been playing well, but just have to keep working and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. ultimately <laughs> not letting any goals during the games. <laughs> Um, so for those who don't know, there was an article written about you transferring from the University of Memphis, a Division One school. Um, so just to reiterate, why did you transfer? 
Um, um, at Memphis, I was going to get redshirted, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't particularly like so much. But the coaches uh, coming in had told me I'd compete from day one. And I had an injury that set me back a couple weeks. And then in the fall, it was kind of tough for me to get fully uh, to 100%. But in the spring, I thought I'd been playing well. And the coaches did agree, but thought that if I really wanted to start somewhere, it would have to be somewhere else because I wouldn't play maybe till like my junior or senior year. And I'm too competitive to hear that come out of somebody's mouth. So I, uh, my best friend goes here, plays football, he's a freshman. And right when he heard I was transferring, he told me about Ithaca, the athletics. And I looked into it, contacted the old coach, and he uh, from right away wanted me to get on campus. And the new head coach, assistant coaches, players, everybody wanted me here. Mm-hmm. And uh, feeling wanted somewhere could go a long way with your confidence. So I'm really happy uh, I landed here. So you started in eight games this season. Your backup has also appeared in five. So there's been a decent amount of switching mm-hmm. going on. You've played by far the most amount of time, mm-hmm. but you still have a backup who's played a decent amount of time. Mm-hmm. How does that affect you and your play? Um, Dan uh, Hankley is the is the backup, and he's been holding it down for sure when I'm out. I was out for uh, two and a half weeks with a hip flexor injury and then came back against St. Lawrence and uh, unfortunately got the flu and uh, had to miss the uh, Hobart game due to the doctors telling the coaches that. So uh, any time that I've been out, Dan has played really well and uh, unfortunately didn't get the best results, but the team didn't really change their game in front of him, so he held it down when he was in there. So you also played for the Chicago Fires youth program, which for people who don't know is an MLS team. You started in eight of seven games and recorded six shutouts, which is pretty much the highest <laughs> level of youth soccer yeah. in the States. I think it's pretty fair to say that. How did you get that opportunity, and what was it like once you got there? Um, middle of my junior year of high school, a coach had reached out to my club coach and asked if there were any goalkeepers down in South Florida. And he threw my name out there, and they saw my film. And without me even going up there, they offered me a spot right away. And uh, I lived with a host family and a kid from Michigan who played there as well in their uh, basement, actually. And it was a nice setup, and they were a great family. (coughs) And uh, the intensity right away from the first practice was insane and nothing I had experienced from the club level. And uh, the coaching and players just from all around the Midwest were all Division One. Our whole starting lineup was either going professional or going Division One. So the uh, soccer was amazing, and Chicago as a whole is just a really good experience. It's a great city and great people. So uh, soccer-wise, it was amazing and just gave me a broader experience to what's out there. And I don't want you to give away all your secrets, but I'm curious, as a goalie, what do you look for when somebody's running towards, you know, the net with the ball? Is what is there a clue? Uh, is there something you look for to where they might shoot the ball? Uh, it's just instincts, honestly, and reactions. I trust myself. I used to play in the, in the field as a forward, and I had good feet. So that's a big attribute to my game is my footwork and being able to play defenders playing me back the ball and my reaction time coming off my line. Um, so playing in the field for till I was 13 or 14 gave me a lot of experience to what it's like to go against forwards. So just instincts and reactions, honestly. Thanks for joining us in the conversation is Charlie Novak of VIC Radio. So we're now going to move into national topics and start with the Dallas Cowboys, who are now 2-3, and three, and they've had back-to-back losses. They're third in the division. So, Max, we'll start with you. Are the Cowboys mm-hmm. done? Um, honestly, in that division, I would say no because the Giants are currently 0-5. I think the Redskins are right around the same as the 
Cowboys and the Eagles, I think, ultimately will win that division because I think Carson Wentz is the best quarterback currently in the, in the division. Um, but it all, I think that with this Ezekiel Elliott uh, scandal, everything going on with him, that it's kind of overshadowing that the Cowboys aren't doing so well. And uh, I, I thought and predicted Dak Prescott would be have a sophomore slump, and he's not proving uh, he's actually proving me right right now, so we'll see uh, if it keeps going. But I don't think they're done, but I think they should be worried. I think the only way for the Cowboys to get into the playoffs this year is if they win that division because the rest of the, the NFC is a very deep conference. And keep in mind, they, they do not own a time break, the tiebreaker against the St. Louis Rams or, or the Green Bay Packers, two teams in the NFC that have lost to two potentially playoff teams. After the bye, because the Cowboys have a bye this week, they, they're going to play San Francisco, but then the next four games are brutal because they have to play Washington, the undefeated Kansas City Chiefs, they have to play Philadelphia and Atlanta in a stretch of four four straight weeks. Those are not easy games because the Cowboys, they got a rough road down the stretch and don't know how good Oakland's going to be when they play the Raiders or against a very good Seattle team, which you know down the stretch will come at you. And their secondary, the Dallas defense in general, is awful. The, the secondary, they, they let Devontae Adams look like Julio Jones out there. And... They're gonna play. They're gonna play a couple of very good offensive teams. Carson Wentz looks like looks like he could win the MVP. So Philadelphia's winning the division right now. But honestly, we saw we're we're in the second quarter of the season right now. So the only way the Cowboys are getting in the playoffs is if they win the division. Otherwise, they're going they're going to the golf course. I mean, I definitely agree. I I don't think Dallas is completely done. I agree with Max. I think they are in trouble. They are definitely in. They trouble. are in very big trouble. And there's again, like you said, Charlie, their secondary is. Their secondary is not very good, but yeah, Devontae Adams had a huge game against. And who like no one? No one expected him to play after the hit that Danny Trevathan laid on him on Thursday night, which was scary. Um, mm-hmm. Danny Trevathan deserves to be suspended for two games. No way he should appeal. It just get. It comes to my attention when so many people are appealing hits, mm-hmm. like suspensions or whatever. I'm like seriously, you made be- a stupid play. I believe he was suspended. Yeah, he was. But, yeah, but apparently he was going to appeal. Yeah, that's it's ridiculous. That's but, a different story. But the Cowboys, the Cowboys secondary is just bad. Jordan Lewis is awful. Look, I don't care he's a rookie. You played for the Michigan defense under Jim Harbaugh, and I'm sorry. You brought in your you can you come to the Cowboys, you have to play well and mm-hmm. they're not they're not looking good. Yeah. I mean I think that the Cowboys, if they do win a division, they're not gonna go very far oh, in no, the playoffs. Oh, absolutely not. They're gonna They are an accident waiting to for, happen. They're gonna be out the first round most likely, depending on who they're playing. So I do they have a shot at the division? Yes, but are they going to go far? Absolutely not. No way. The Cowboys don't have a shot at the division. They don't have a shot at the playoffs. They're done. They're done and out. The Eagles are winning this division. They are. They'll win it easily. Carson Wentz looks, dare I say, better than Dak Prescott at this point and looks to be the better quarterback overall. Dallas's next five games are, yes, against the 49ers this week, but then Redskins, Chiefs, Falcons, Eagles. Those That's games are not easy. Not easy at all. That's an understatement. Julio Jones could get 200 yards against against that Dallas secondary. And if they go three and two during that stretch, which I'll is surprised. pretty good, three and two would be good. They would still be five and five. They're not going to win this division at eight and eight. They're not making the playoffs at eight and eight. And the defense is the issue with this team. It's suspect. The offense we know is no joke. The offensive line is one of well, the best in the NFL. The, it's interesting you say that because the offensive line this season, according to the NFL Network, is the worst rushing offense of line in the league. Period. So this offensive line, Zeke Elliott is also 28th in average yards per carry. Zeke Elliott and this offensive line is not the same. Now, are the are they the problem? No, it's the defense. Oh, absolutely. Rod Marinelli, right. Rod Marinelli, the Cowboys defensive coordinator, his job's on the line this year. 
agree, and they're giving up seven more points per game this season than last season. So that is the main problem. We just can't completely overlook Zeke Elliott. We can't. Whether it's the distractions of off the field that you brought up or the offensive line struggling has not been the same player this season. Oh, absolutely. Like You look at like the next five games, they have to play some very fast linebacker, team, very fast linebackers. Kansas City, I don't care if they're ranked down at the bottom in total defense. That defense is big. It if, is. Tom, if Tom Bahali and Houston are healthy, Prescott's going to have a long day. And the secondary is great. Des Bryant, where have you been? You've been a no-show this year. Des Bryant has been a no-show. Cole Beasley's the number one receiver on that team in my mind. Yeah, no, Des hasn't done much. Oh, since, he's been awful. Since when, I don't even know the last time Des Bryant has gone. Two years ago when he dropped like 15 touchdowns in the year that they lost to Green Bay and Lambeau in the playoffs. So we're going to move on to the NBA, where the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, said the league will, quote, continue to look at the possibility of reseeding the playoffs 1 through 16, regardless of the conference. So, Charlie, we'll start with you. Is this a good idea for the NBA? Uh, you know, I really don't have an answer to that to see if it's a good idea. There, there's one side of me that's, that says, thank you. That means we could have East-West battling out in, in, the, in the NBA playoffs for the first time. Then there's another side of me that's like, we could have, we cannot get Cleveland-Golden State round four in the NBA finals if we have this setup. But overall, I, I don't know how, how, how I feel about this because, you know, the East is coming down to Cleveland and Boston. That's a no-brainer. Like, Washington's a step behind. Milwaukee's on the, Milwaukee's, Milwaukee has a future. Toronto's scared. But the West, you, you look at the West, the West is going to come down to five, um, four to five teams in my mind because you have Golden State, Golden State, San Antonio, OKC. That, that's your three. You can never count out San Antonio. Then Houston and, Min, and the new upcoming Minnesota Timberwolves, who, honestly, if Tom Siddle does not get them to the playoffs this year, he deserves to be fired because that offseason that they had this year, with bringing in Jimmy Butler, signing Jeff Teague, also, keep in mind, they also signed Jamal Crawford to come off that bench for a veteran presence. Towns and Wiggins are no joke. The, t- the Timberwolves are built to win this year. But in terms of overall conference playoffs, you could get the number seven seed in the East, who could possibly be a 39-40 win team, going up against the second best team in the West, who is like a 54-55 win team, or possibly the 60 win team if the San Antonio Spurs get there. So I don't know how I feel about this whole thing that the NBA could do. I actually kind of like it because I think the whole purpose of the NBA commissioner doing this was to avoid Cleveland Warriors for Round the fourth four. year in a row. He's, I, I, I agree with it. I definitely, I like it because he's trying. They're trying to avoid that because obviously basketball is going to get boring at this point. It's going it to get is. boring, and it's not going to be fun to watch, and they're going to lose ratings. So it's a way to a keep ratings up and b not have Cleveland Warrior Round Four because it, it's not fun anymore, and it's it, it's. Yeah, it's a problem. I think another thing that people tend to forget is like, I you know when the early 2000s when the Lakers were dominant with Kobe and Shaq, Rick Fox, Big Shot, Robert Horry, when the Lakers won three in a row? If you want to say the NBA was not competitive back in the back in the early 2000s, you are wrong because the Lakers got tested heavily in the West. They went to game sevens of the conference finals pretty much every year. They they came back from down 15 in 2000 in the fourth quarter against Portland, and then they won, they were down 3-2 against the number one seed Sacramento Kings back in 02. The Lakers were not always the one seed in the West. They were not. People have a tendency to forget about that. But the reason the Lakers won, because you got no answer for Shaq, because Shaq is probably the most dominant player of our generation, and like probably the most dominant big man in the modern era. But the Warriors, if you want to compare them to the Warriors, the Warriors have only been good for three years, and there have, there's honestly no competition in the West. You pretty much guarantee sweep, sweep, sweep. Maybe a team could win a, a game to force a game six, whatever. 
it's gotten to the point where the Warriors need to be tested out. I don't get where this notion comes from that the Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers meeting for the fourth time would be bad for basketball. Like, there's nothing, absolutely nothing that shows that. The ratings are up. Everything is up. It wouldn't be bad. And, in fact, it would be great. People want to see this. That's what they want to see. They don't want to see the San Antonio Spurs face off against LeBron State. They don't want to see any team from the East other than LeBron James face off against the Golden State Warriors. That's what people want to see. 100%. And the ratings prove that. Now, in terms of this receding idea specifically, I love it. I think it would create more interest overall this year because I played this out with the nerd I am. I actually did this out for if it was last season and this was in place. The Cavs would be happened? like the four or five. Well, the Cavs would have played against the Grizzlies. The Cavs would, would the Cavs want, would, Yes, they would. But it would create more interest because Memphis was a bigger team at the time and maybe they would have matched up better against whatever team that would have lost to them in four in the East would have. So it would have created more interest there. Meanwhile, this, I, the Memphis Grizzlies took the Spurs to six games last year. So, And plus, people keep in mind, Memphis is a very physical team. Right, yeah, and that, and I that's agree. exactly that's exactly why I love it. And just my last point is, people say, "Well, this would just lead to a million teams from the West this year making it in the playoffs." Well, last year it wouldn't have changed anything. There would have been eight teams from the West, eight teams from the East. So where is this notion that the West would just dominate and make every single playoff seed one through ten be the West? That's just not true. And in fact, the year before that, it would have only changed the very last team. So when it changed what teams are getting into the playoffs, it would just change the matchups and make it more interesting. Here's why they won't do it. Travel. These NBA players are soft, weak, and they do not want to play back-to-backs. That's known. The league made changes this year to prevent that. That's and why they're starting Silver, a week early. Right. And Adam Silver brought this up at the press conference. He brought up the travel issue. They don't want to have teams traveling from east to west in the first round of the playoffs. That creates the same issue that they tried to get rid of. So while I love it, I don't think the NBA is going to do it. Like, you could have the Golden State Warriors playing against a team from the Northeast, like the Philadelphia 76ers, if they make the playoffs this year, and possibly 1-16. versus 16. Flying from Philadelphia all the way to Oakland, is not, it's not pretty like a good six-and-a-half-hour flight. So that, I feel like that's another good reason why the NBA is not going to do that, because they'll travel and, like, whatever, whatever they want to call it. Um, yeah, I don't think... I think that the NBA in the regular season is just a complete joke. Going to the games, going to the Grizzlies versus the Raptors last year, and until probably halfway through the fourth quarter, the game got interesting at that point because they started actually looking like they tried. Um, I think the these players sitting out all these games is also an issue for viewers and for bringing money to the arenas where all these fans want to see LeBron James and Steph Curry play, but they're sitting on the bench because they're resting. Um, but as far as the reseeding goes, I feel like the NBA has to do something because Golden State is sweeping every... I mean, people may want to see Golden State sweep every team in the West in the playoffs, but I personally would want to see a little more competition. Oh, 100%. Because I honestly don't... For a, an average viewer of the NBA, I don't really pay attention until it gets to like the conference finals. So I think if the reseeding did happen and like the Timberwolves ended up playing somebody decent from the East, it'd be an actual exciting matchup to watch. So I think if it did happen, it'd be great. But also, the, like you said, the travel would be pretty brutal, traveling from oh, Philly 100%. to Golden State. Uh, so There's only knows? very few regular season matchups that people want to see. Yeah. People want to see the Cavs versus Warriors on Christmas Day. Yes, people want to see Golden State play Oklahoma City that and Cleveland and Boston because of the whole Kyrie Irving drama in the offseason or Boston play against the Golden State Warriors or the New Look Rockets or the Thunder playing against whatever. People want to see like the Jimmy Butler return to Chicago. 
but that's but that game is going to get boring in a quick second. There's very few exciting regular season games that people want to see. Cavs Warriors on Christmas, no brainer. Everyone wants yeah, to see Christmas that game. Day is the biggest day for the NBA. Oh yeah, right, and that's why Adam Silver, a commissioner who gets it, isn't afraid to change things. Baseball uh, is mm-hmm. considering an eighty. 80- considering reducing the 82-game schedule down. And if he's smart, what he should do is reduce it to 66, which happened in the uh, lockout season where they started on Christmas Day. That's when NBA fans actually start paying attention. It's Christmas Day. Yeah, because you have, like, the marquee game. Right. It's the day where, like, okay, the season's actually starting. Reduce it to 66. The NBA's not afraid to make changes, and that I love. You know, I feel like after the offseason, the NBA is going to watch on night one because you have the Cavs in Boston – playing in Cleveland, then you have the Rockets against the New Look Rockets with the addition of Chris Paul when against Golden State when they raised the banner. All right, so we're going to step away from N- the NBA, and we're going to move into some uh, soccer, actually, the USA men's soccer. So the men's soccer team, they defeated uh, Panama, and they are now one game away from qualifying for the FIFA World Cup. So full disclosure, the game is happening right now. Um, so we got a live update. Right now the U.S. is losing to Trinidad and Tobago 2-1. to one. So the U.S. did score eventually. Um, so for right now, well, Max, I'll start with you. What is the state of the U.S. soccer team overall? I think that losing right now to Trinidad and Tobago is pretty much the epitome of what this team has been so far. Uh, they just don't have an identity other than Christian Pulisic is their best player, and he's 19 years old. Um, I'm not – I love the U.S. I mean, I love U.S. soccer, but I just think if we get in the World Cup, we'll probably do what we do every single time, which is get out of the group. Everybody loves it. And then we get into the first round and round of 16 and just get knocked out. But um, I think bringing in Bruce Arena and firing Jurgen Klinsman brought a little more life to the U.S. and another – an American coach, and they've – during practices, Bob Bradley's came out and ex-coaches have came out and tried really getting this team together. But being a goalkeeper, the fact that Tim Howard is still back there is a huge question mark because tonight he actually let up a goal that was extremely questionable on his part. And the fact that Brad Guzan is second up and he played on the worst team in the Premier League, got them relegated, and had the pretty much the worst stats in the Premier League that season, and he's not reliable at all. And you have two young goalkeepers behind them that aren't developed. So I think that's a huge thing when it comes down to these World Cup games is the leadership back there. Also, the back line is just a question mark. Obviously, Michael Bradley's the captain. I don't think he's the best. He, I, if, we don't, if there's not a better center midfielder in the United States than Michael Bradley, then we have a major issue. And Christian Pulisic is unreal. He's going to be in my opinion, probably the best American soccer player ever. That's bold, but I think he will be. And then we have some strikers that are decent, but just we're not – people want us to be good enough, but we're not good enough, and that's just a fact. Um, Do you want want me to go? You can go. Sure. Um, I feel like if if the U.S. is usual, we've seen the last two World Cups in 2010 and 2014, they get to the round of – they get to the round of 16, and then – they go to overtime and then they get and then unfortunately they get unlucky losing to like Ghana and Belgium the last two and in, in like barely like five minutes into the overtime mm-hmm. that that we see unfortunately the road ending but I feel I Max I agree with you if, if the U.S. team gets to the round of 16 you know the country's gonna go nuts mm-hmm. so you'll have you'll have you have the bars going crazy the bars going crazy the yeah. Nevada mm-hmm. Smith downtown on 12th Street mm-hmm. in Manhattan <laughs> like the the home of U.S. soccer yeah. you know or the place in Kansas City going crazy but the U.S. 
if they if they could somehow come back and at least get a point, mm-hmm. they're going to Russia. But at the end of the day, I'm worried about this team if they do not get a point tonight. Yeah. I mean, they're 18, 2, and 4 against Trinidad and who? Tobago. <laughs> to, yeah, sure, Tobago. Uh, like, for them to even, whether they go on to win this game or not, for them to be losing 2-1 to one and now the 71st minute is a problem whether they win this game or not. I mean, the state of U.S. soccer, they shouldn't be here. They shouldn't have to be in this must-win game to be qualifying for the World Cup. I mean, they, or yeah, they shouldn't have to do that. ESPN gave them a 97% chance to make it. It's now coming down to literally the last 30 minutes for mm-hmm. them to try and sneak in. They've lost to Costa Rica, who's the 31st team, so not, excuse me, 21st, so not terrible. And then Honduras, who's the 75th, they managed and struggled to get a tie. Trinidad and whoever is 99th. Like, it's pathetic the fact that they're struggling against this team and the state of them going forward, you mentioned it, Max, is is just a whole bunch of question marks. Mm -hmm. And until youth soccer really picks up in this country, and people I know say it's the second most popular sport, it is, but people don't stick with it because mm-hmm. we have the U.S. as the best athletes in the world, pretty much that's not even debatable, they are not going to soccer. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem, and that's a problem because people in the U.S. do not care enough about soccer. 100%. We watch it every four years, yeah. and the ratings are great. It's more than the NBA Finals. It's 23 million people watching it. Great. Yeah. But we don't watch MLS. Mm-hmm. We don't really watch the Premier League. So until it's actually paid attention to by average citizens, mm-hmm. kids aren't going to want to go into it. They're going to want to go play basketball, basketball, football, hockey. I don't know, yeah. go be a race car driver, anything else other than soccer. And that's the problem facing the United States right now. Yeah, there's actually Argentina released a, like, to all their citizens, like a cardiovascular, like, warning, pretty much because they're all so, like, the country is so stressed out if they lost tonight. If they lost oh, tonight, wow. they wouldn't have qualified with the best player ever on their team, and he managed to score a hat trick. So they're going to be in there. But that was that's the difference between playing in the U.S., where probably not a lot of the country knows what's going on right now if we don't win. Whereas in Argentina, it's like their life there. If they if Argentina had Oops, lost tonight, the country would be on fire. Honestly. All right. So we're going to move on to our final topic. We'll shift from soccer to the MLB. Um, Right now, Houston and the Dodgers have punched tickets. Houston to the ALCS, Dodgers to the NLCS. Um, Yankees still have to play tomorrow um, against the Cleveland Indians, and the Cubs have to play the Nationals tomorrow. They were supposed to play tonight, but there was a weather delay. So, Charlie, I'll start with you. What matchup do you want to see the most in the World Series? It's a tough one. For just as a fan of baseball and a fan of watching the World Series on TV, if you want to talk about TV ratings, Yankees, Dodgers, like honestly, the TV's dream of New York and LA go playing like a championship sport, or honestly, Yankees, Cubs. I would love. Hopefully, the Yankees get by tomorrow night. But if the Yankees and the Cubs do not, if if the Yankees do not get past tomorrow night, if the Indians win, I want to see a rematch of the World Series of last year. You get another classic seven-game series. 100%. Mm-hmm. I think the World Series matchup, pretty much no matter what, it's like a non-lose situation. I mean, even if the Indians get in or the Astros get in, I still think the Astros would be the worst situation. But I still think the ratings are going to be good. People are going to watch, and it'll be a good, entertaining series. What I'm excited for, and this isn't the sexy matchup, this isn't the matchup most people want to see, but is the ALCS, 
between the Indians and Astros. Oh, that's a matchup a lot of people want to see. Well, people want to see the Yankees get in over the oh, Indians, obviously, I think, because overall. that way, because that way, as, as a Yankee fan, hopefully right. the Yankees <laughs> get past tomorrow night. But if you want to talk from baseball stats, whatever, you could expect a Game 7, Cleveland and Houston. Expect a Game 7. Yeah, and a ton of young stars, Jose Altuve, George Springer, Francisco Lindor. Like, that would be the best-played baseball series out of all these teams. From the World Series point, it's, it's L.A. versus New York. Who, who does not want to see that? Oh, who wouldn't want to see the Yankees, a young, youthful, exciting team with Aaron Judge, make it into the playoffs against the Dodgers, who continuously just choke once they get into the playoffs? That would be an awesome matchup. Everybody would want to see it. You want to talk about ratings? That would be a lot of ratings. That's a TV's dream, New oh, York absolutely. and L.A. New, yes, New York and L.A. and anything is a TV dream. Mm-hmm. So that's what I want to see from the World Series, what I think. I think. I said this at the beginning of the season, so I'm just going to be stubborn and not move off of it. Nationals versus the Indians, uh, because that's what I said at the beginning of the season. But I do think it's a real possibility we see New York and L.A. Cubs-Yankees, I would love. You get two Mm old-school teams. You get the the defending champs against a young, youthful Yankees team. You're ahead of schedule. You get Rizzo. You get Brian and Rizzo against Judge and Sanchez. Mm -hmm. I I definitely want to see a rematch. I think that last year was insane. I think Cleveland is their fans and just that team is just all it's what we saw in the Royals almost just they had I think they have better players than the Royals did when they had won the World Series but just the Indians just ha- I predicted that they weren't going to do as good as last year and they are proving me wrong and I think the Cubs are just I think Joe Madden's the best manager that I've seen in a while and he's they're going to figure it out I think they'll put away the Nationals next game even though the Bryce Harper's unreal and what they did last time with the momentum so I think honestly the postponed game I don't know the Cubs had won last game but postponed might have honestly worked better for the Nationals just to let them get ready for it Wrigley's going to be like game four but I think the Indians and Cubs are going to square off again and that's just my opinion mm-hmm. I mean I think granted too Cleveland was up three nothing in the World Series last year three one three one sorry three one <laughs> And they lost to the Cubs. They came back. The Cubs won the World Series in Game 7. The Yankees are doing the same thing to Cleveland this year. A year later, the Yankees are doing the same exact thing the Cubs just did. So, I, as a Yankee fan, of course I want the Yankees in the World Series. I hope it happens. Is there a possibility it doesn't? Yes. Um, but, again, I don't. if Cleveland is struggling like they did last year in the World Series and they're doing it again against the Yankees and the ALDS why should they go back to the World Series if they're going to keep doing it? Who knows? That's, that's just mm-hmm. my thought. I think a bunch bunch of things I've gotten wrong for the Indians. Francisco Lindor, I get he had the big grand slam, but where have you been? Lindor's, mm-hmm. Lindor's been a no-show. Ramirez, who's a candidate for the MVP, no-show. Kipnis, no-show. You look, you look throughout that very talented Indians roster. Jay Bruce is the only one who's pretty much showed up and in the, the series. All right, so thank you to our guests, uh, Max Lichtenstein and Charlie Novak, for a great discussion on today's episode. If you want to hear more, make sure to follow us on SoundCloud to never miss a new episode. I'm Samantha Cavalli. I'm Nick Friend. And you've been listening to How I See Sports.